Welcome to the Abundant Life Church Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message by Pastor Russ Cordell. For more information about Abundant Life Church, please visit www.abundantlifechurch.org. Do you know every time I open up the Word of God, and I've read scriptures, some scriptures, hundreds of times, and God still continues to reveal to me uh, just amazing, amazing aspects of His will and His way. And so I want to share a little bit about that today. I talked to you last week about... Uh, a lot about baptism we shared about the blood we shared about uh, the overcoming and I just want to finish that off today with a very important question did you get your robe did you get your robe since you've been here have you gotten your robe Matthew chapter 22 starts at uh, starting at verse 1 and I'm going to go just to verse 7 it says and Jesus answered and spake unto them again by parables and said The kingdom of heaven is like unto a certain king which made a marriage for his son. Now, whenever you read in the word of God and whenever you hear Jesus saying, the the kingdom of heaven is like unto, you should pay particular attention to that because he's not just giving you an object lesson, lesson, he's giving you the roadmap to get there. Okay, so when Jesus says, the kingdom of heaven is like unto a certain king which made a marriage for his son, Our ears should perk up and our radar should be on. And sent forth his servants to call them that were bidden to the wedding and they would not come. He's calling everybody. He's calling everybody, but some just will not come to the wedding. They won't come to church. They won't hear his word. And verse 4 says, And again he sent forth other servants, saying, Tell them which are bidden, Behold, I've prepared my dinner. My oxen and my fatlings are killed, and all things are ready. Come unto the marriage. He's pleading, I've made a meal for you. I have wonderful things waiting for you. But they made light of it. How many of you have been made fun of for your faith, for being a churchgoer, for being a Bible thumper? And they went their ways, one to his farm and another to his merchandise, the worldly cares, our our ownership, our, our belongings. And the remnant took his servants and entreated them spitefully and slew them. But the, when the king heard of this thereof, he was wroth. And he sent forth his armies and destroyed those murderers and burned up their city. Folks, there is a place for people who outright, outright reject the people of God, that outright reject the word of God that do not have a love for the truth. You can be seated this morning. Then saith he to his servants, the wedding is ready, but they which were bidden were not worthy. Go ye therefore into the highways, and as many as ye shall find bid to the marriage. In other words, the ones who were called, the ones who were originally supposed to be the wedding guests, refused to come. They got too tied up in their, their personal belongings, their busyness of life. And so this is a type and shadow of when Jesus was going to put the call out to the Gentiles of the world and to those who had not previously been part of the wedding party, so to speak. So those servants went out into the highways and gathered together all as many as they found, both bad and good. Now that's interesting. Grabbed as many as they could find. Bring them to the house. Bring them to the wedding, folks. Bring them to the marriage supper. Bad and good. They didn't make a judgment. They didn't decide who was bad and good. You see what what I'm saying? They didn't make that choice. 
They simply gave it to everybody they possibly could. That invitation to the wedding. And the wedding was furnished with guests. And when the king came in to see the guests, he saw there a man which had not on a wedding garment. And he saith unto him, Friend, how camest thou in hither not having a wedding garment? And he was speechless. The man without the garment was speechless. And then said the king to the servants, Bind him, mind you, this is like unto the kingdom of heaven. Bind him, hand and foot, and take him away, and cast him into outer darkness. There shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth, for many are called, but few are chosen. See of the bad and the good. God will make that decision. They'll make that decision for themselves first. They'll make the decision whether they love the word, whether they love truth, whether they're going to be bad or good, and then God makes the decision for them at the end of the wedding supper, before the wedding supper begins. See, in the wedding tradition, and what this is speaking to, what Jesus is speaking to, is when the king or, or a prominent person would have a wedding arranged, what he would do is they would, they would go out and they would send out these garments. These, it's a particular robe. It's a robe that they would wear. And uh, when you wore that robe, you came to the wedding, that was, that was like carrying your engraved invitation. But they didn't do engraved invitations. They had a particular clothing or a garment. Now, what this did was it equalized the classes, So the king would invite, come on, hear me now, the king would invite rich people and middle-class people and poor people, ugly people and pretty people and fat people and skinny people, you see? But see, the robe, the robe homogenizes all of that. It equalizes all of it. When you have the same color robe and the same style of clothing, you can't walk in and say, hey, look at my fancy suit, look at my fancy dress, I need to have a better place at the table, I have a prominent position with the king, I get to sit a little closer to him, I'm not anything special. See, we're all supposed to be wearing this white robe, plain, simple. As a matter of fact, it was a fine linen garment without color. You know why? Because color was a representation of wealth. If you could afford to pay for the dyes and all of those things to make your clothes. Remember Joseph in his coat of many colors? Thought he was fancy and he had, you know, that was a show-off thing. This robe was white. It was just fine linen. That's all. And it made everybody equal in the eyes of the host of the wedding. Now Christ has always modeled the church and his relationship with the church in a marriage format. Yes, he, he calls us sheep and he relates us to his sheep and shepherds. That's a good one too. That's for another service. But in generally speaking, thank you, Brother Hickey. But in many, many cases and overall and into the message of what it is to attain salvation, that the kingdom of heaven is like unto, he likens us to his bride. It's a marriage situation. And that's why in that text, he said the kingdom of heaven is like unto a wedding. Revelation chapter 19, starting at verse 7, says this. It says, Let us be glad and rejoice and give honor to him, for the marriage of the Lamb is come, and his wife, the church, hath made herself ready. And to her was granted that she should be arrayed in fine linen, clean and white. For the fine linen is the righteousness of the saints. See, we have to have that applied to us. We have to get that garment because the word says that our righteousness is as of filthy rags. Exactly. 
We're not entering into the kingdom of heaven. We're not entering into the marriage supper of the lamb like the guy who showed up at the wedding in simple, filthy rags. Our own righteousness is not going to get us into the kingdom is what that message is. We need God's righteousness. How do we apply it, right? I told you last week when we're baptized into Jesus, we're baptized into his righteousness. Remember that? And he saith unto me, write, Blessed are they which are called unto the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he saith unto me, these are the true sayings of God. Now in the tabernacle, I want to go back all the way back to the time when when Israel had escaped Egypt. And they're wandering in the wilderness and Moses gets the law and they create the tabernacle, the church, the tabernacle church, okay? Now in the tabernacle at that time, and I've talked about this before and I can, I can share with you some other time, but in the tabernacle, that was their church. That was the place they had to do all those sacrifices that I've talked about and so forth. And so there's a priest who had a job on the Day of Atonement one time a year. He had to go in and he had to take the sacrifice and they, they spill the blood and, and uh, they burn the offerings and the priests get to eat some of that and there's, there's a whole lot of ritual to that and you can read about that in Exodus and Leviticus and, uh, um, and, and how that all operated. But after he sacrificed the animal, his, his hands and, and possibly part, articles of clothing are covered in blood. There's no way that you, for you deer hunters getting ready to head up this week, amen. Uh, there's no way that you can do that process. Even when you put the plastic glove on and then you put the big long sleeve glove on and you still take it all off later and go, how did I get blood in there? But you can't do that. That priest couldn't do that without getting blood on himself. We get the phrase, he had blood on his hands from that very sequence of events in the tabernacle. And so he does the sacrifice and now he's got to wash He's got to clean himself off. And there's, a, there's, a, uh, there's a, uh, um, an instrument or a container, if you will, called the brazen laver. Uh, it, it's a giant bowl full of water, essentially, in the tabernacle where he comes to wash. A giant bowl full of water. And so within that, there's, two, there's actually two containers inside that. There's a place where the, the priest can wash, and then there's a place where he washes his feet and his hands. Now, like all the priests, the chief priest is in charge of the atonement sacri- uh, sacrifice. Excuse me. Uh, the chief priest is in charge of the atonement sacrifice, and he had to immerse himself in that ritual bath before he put on this special white robe that he had to wear. And his, he had to wash his feet and his hands too. The high priest had two sets of holy garments. One is called the golden garments, and then he had a set of the uh, linen garments. And those were called the big dai hadad which he wore on the Day of Atonement only, or what we know modern now is is Yom Kippur. You've heard of Yom Kippur. You can read about that in Leviticus 16 and 4. And on that day, he would change into those linen linen garments before he would enter into a place called the Holy of Holies. See, he had to take that blood. I talked about this a little bit last week. Remember, Jesus is the atoning sacrifice, the same word for that place on top of the Ark of the Covenant. And he would take that blood in his white clothing. He had to be perfectly white. He had to be clean. Come on, hear me now. He had to be completely clean to step into the presence of God, to enter into the Holy of Holies, the type and shadow of the kingdom of heaven. And so he put on his fine linen garment. He took his container of blood got himself underneath the curtain and into that one special place, that heaven place on earth where God's spirit dwelt between the two cherubim on top of the ark. And then he would pour the blood on the mercy seat 
And then if there was an acceptable sacrifice, God would consume it in fire. Okay? He was given that white linen garment. There was no embroidery. There was no color. There was nothing to set him apart. There's nothing he could be proud about. Nothing he could be fancier than the other high priest that would take the job later or any of the other priests that he served with. It was pure. And white is used in that scenario, not as a sign of necessarily surrender, which some would say they have to wear that. They surrender to God. It's a, that's not it at all. It all has everything to do with purity and glory. The Bible says that Jesus is going to come in a white cloud. It will be called the great white throne judgment. Matthew 17, 17 and 2 tells us that Jesus was transfigured before, his, before them and his raiment was white as the light. So the Holy of Holies near the Ark of the Covenant is where all of this takes place. It's literally a type and shadow of heaven. Now let's take a look at, at, at a, another view of heaven according to the book of Revelation. Revelation chapter 6, starting at verse 9, says this. It says, And when he had opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of them that were slain for the word of God and for the testimony which they held. And they cried with a loud voice, saying, o, How long, O Lord, holy and true, dost thou not judge and avenge our blood and them that dwell on the earth? Now verse 11 says this, And white robes were given unto every one of them. And it was said unto them that they should rest yet for a little while until their fellow servants also and their brethren that should be killed as they were should be fulfilled. This is another amazing view of God's people existing in heaven after the time that Jesus returns. Turn to Revelation chapter 7. Just go ahead one more chapter, verse starting at verse 9 there as well. And it says this, After this I beheld, and lo, a great multitude, which no man could number, of all nations and kindreds and people and tongues, stood before the throne and before the Lamb. A great multitude, which no man could number, more than you could possibly comprehend, of all nations, all kindreds and people and tongues, not just United Pentecostals, not just American Christians, not just this group or that group, but of all nations and all kindreds and all tongues. Be careful. Be careful, kind Christian person, to assume that you've got all the truth and it's all wrapped up and we're the only ones that have it. Amen. They stood before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed with white robes and palms in their hands. And they cried with a loud voice, saying, Salvation to our God, which sitteth upon the throne and unto the Lamb. So the question you might be asking is, what's the connection with the white robes? The priest had a white robe, the king had a white robe, everybody's got to have white robes. Well, remember, my question is, did you get your robe? And this, for many of you, is something to take with you and to share a question you might be able to ask somewhere down the road. The concept of baptism the scriptural version, I'm not going to go over last week's lesson, last week's message, but the concept of baptism in today's Christian world is being eradicated. It's being talked against. It's being taken out of doctrine. It's being looked at as an inconvenience. It's, it's offered as a way to join the club or be a part of. It's an outward expression of an inward feeling. That's all. Those things are, are, are kind and they're nice and they're wonderful, but they're not word of God. 
So constantly, 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 as people are finding God and they're finding these folks and they're reaching out, again, remember I said people in earnest, people that really believe and are sincere and they love God, but this is what they, they understand and this is what they've been told, this is what they've been taught. I hold the people in my station accountable for that. Not the, the, the dear saints, not the people who don't know. But they're being told it's not necessary. They're, they're having it taken out of doctrine. And what I want to armor you with, what I want to encourage you with, is we've got to stand strong for these pieces of doctrine. We've got to stand strong and believe firmly that unequivocally, without question, without any con- controversy whatsoever, this is a critically important and powerfully important message that we need to share with people. I said it before. If you repent of your sins and you fail to have them remitted according to the word of God, you're walking around with that stuff hanging on your back. You've got a dirty garment on. You've got filthy, righteous rags on. You're not getting into the kingdom of heaven. That's just simply what the word says. And if we're passionate about that, if we get that here inside, and we really, really desperately want to share that message, we'll impact this world like you've never seen before. I, I'm, a, I'm an ardent patriot. I love our country. I love our nation. And yes, I'm, I'm vexed to see what's happening to it and what both political parties are, are doing to it in a lot of ways. This mess that's going on and all the bitterness and the anger that it, it stirs up in people. And I see tremendous passion for the defense of our flag. You should defend our flag. Just make sure you're not defending the front one stronger than the back one. You see, we should be as equally ardent and passionate about defending the word of God and the doctrine that's slowly in front of you. I hear people all the time, our rights are being taken away. Our rights are being taken away. They're taking Christianity out of schools. They're taking the Ten Commandments off, the, off of a structure. And they're do- Yes, yeah, they're, this stuff is happening. It's eroding. If you take a look in scripture, you'll see it's kind of alluded to in, in scripture in a big way. And we get passionate about that and we share it with one another and we're all over Facebook and look what this is doing politically and look what that guy's doing and look what they said and this impeachment thing that's got everybody riled up. By the way, Donald Trump's not going anywhere. Whichever side of that you fall on, it's just, it's just politics. It's all politics. And they're going to have their day in, in the sun and they're going to rejoice and all that kind of stuff and then the Senate's going to get it and it's not going to go anywhere. So I'm not going to get political, but... My point of that is we get very passionate about those things. I think it's disgusting. I think it's horrible what we're doing. From day one, that's all that we've been focused on. Our government has been a complete standstill for two and a half years when there are people that desperately need services and there are, there are things that are crumbling and there's all these things in our, in our country that aren't being taken care of. And I could really get on a soapbox right now and get you all fired up and I guarantee I can get you on your feet and clapping and shouting and passionate going, yes, yes, we got to get those bad guys out of there, blah, blah, blah. And what I'm saying to you is I want that same thing from you about the fact that people are out there telling your potential lambs that they don't have to be baptized in Jesus' name. You understand what I'm saying? Can we get that passionate and desperate about the word of God? They're dismantling the word of God right before us. And it's hurting people. Because the scriptures say, if you're standing in the marriage supper, and you don't have the garment on, you'll be bound hand and foot and cast into outer darkness where there's weeping and wailing and gnashing of teeth. By the way, 
Every time you hear that phrase in scripture, that means hell. Weeping and wailing and gnashing of teeth. It's in there. It's repeated. Trust me. Revelation 7, 13 through 14 says, And one of the elders answered, saying unto me, What are these which are arrayed in white robes? And whence came they? And I said unto him, Sir, thou knowest. And he said to me, These are they which came out of great tribulation. Notice it doesn't say out of the great tribulation. It says out of great tribulation. And have washed their robes and made them white. Where? In the blood of the Lamb. Just what I taught you last week. Last week we discussed the cleansing blood of the Lamb. I gave you multiple examples through Scripture that the waters of baptism are the way that we take on the blood of the Lamb. Remit those sins, not just atone them, but remit them forever. Hebrews 13 and 12 as a supporter says, Wherefore, Jesus also, that he may sanctify the people with his own blood, suffered without the gate. Now, In Revelation chapter 3, we learn about seven churches. These are examples. This is is Jesus speaking to John the Revelator as he's writing, and he gives these seven examples of these churches. There's Laodicea, and there's Sardis, and there's Thyatira, and and so on. It's a great study, and eventually we'll get there. I do have some pieces I'm working on on the seven churches of Revelation. But I want to just show you just an example of two of those churches, and I'm not going to get into what the examples were. That's a whole other message. But speaking to the church of Sardis in Revelation chapter 3, 4 through 5, it says this. It says, Thou hast a few names, even in Sardis, which have not defiled their garments. This garment thing is so important. You understand, we can't abide in filthy rags of our own righteousness. We've got to have the garment And there's just a few people in Sardis that have not defiled their garments and they walk with me in white for they are worthy. He that overcometh, the same shall be clothed in what? White raiment and will not blot out his name out of the book of life but I will confess his name before my father and before his angels. And then a little further down speaking to the church of Laodicea In Revelation 3 and 18, it says, I counsel thee to buy of me gold tried in the fire, that thou mayest be rich and white raiment, that thou mayest be clothed, and that the shame of thy nakedness do not appear, and anoint thine eyes with eye salve, that thou mayest see. A little further down in Revelation 4 and 4, it says, And round about the throne were four and twenty seats, and upon the seats I saw four and twenty elders sitting, clothed in white raiment. And they had on their heads crowns of gold. It's a very short and simple message, folks. It's not very hard to get a hold of. If you tie it to everything that I said last week, overcoming the blood of the Lamb and the word of our testimony and not forsaking, it's very simple. Did you get your white robe? And you got to pass that message on. And you got to defend that as ardently as you would defend the flag of the United States and defend your rights to vote and defend your rights to to, to gather together, all of those things. Our abilities and our liberties to be here in this church. I don't know how much longer that's going to last. I might be the generation of pastors that come under that persecution, that come under that attack. We may lose it. I don't know. Perhaps God, in order to get our attention to get us to be more desperately passionate about this as opposed to that, we'll take that out of the way and make us more desperate 
Because now, once it's taken away from us, we don't take it for granted. That could happen. I hope not. I want to encourage my church, I want to encourage my friends and my family to stand up for it. Deliver that message. Share it. Be a part of it. Get more fired up about those things being taken away. Those things being under arrest than even our our civil rights that we have. Those things are important. Please don't misunderstand me. It is important that you vote and it's important that you stand up for the best righteousness we can get a hold of and it's in short supply. (laughs) We don't have very many choices. But if we get off track and we lose sight of the things that are important, like the white robes, we can get in trouble. Now, many of you are saying, well, Brother Cordell, I did this already. I I was baptized in Jesus' name. But I just want to remind you, you got to keep those robes and that raiment white. It's not just a matter of, well, I was in there once and I'm good and now I come to church and I sing and I praise and I worship. we got to keep them white. And every day we're human beings. Every day living in the flesh, we do things to stomp in the mud puddle and splash it on our our robes, and we do things to mess each other up. You know, if you took a white towel and rubbed it on your engine block and got it all greasy and dirty, and you took another white towel and you rubbed the two of them together, you don't get two white towels. Okay? Let's just be careful how much dirty, greasy towels we're rubbing up against out there. You can stand this morning. That's all I have for you. I just want to encourage you today. We've got to keep our robes white. We've got to keep striving and doing things to be passionate about the word and to share that word. I want to empower you as my church and empower you as my people just to continue to strive to learn more and understand. Get that down in your heart. Now, if there's someone in the house today that you've not partaken of this, if you've not had a chance to get a hold of this, if you haven't been baptized, the waters are warm. We're here and we're capable. I'm going to put the invitation out one more time. I'm going to say, I don't know everybody's story. I don't know every single person's background in here. But if you haven't done it the right way, yes, I believe there's a right way. I believe that when it says that in Acts chapter 4 and verse 12, neither is there salvation in any other, for there's none other name under heaven given among men, whereby we must be saved. I'm going to go down in the water under the name of Jesus. I shared with you last week one more time. Every single time somebody was actually baptized, it was in the name of Jesus, in the name of the Lord. I believe that that's where the power stands. I believe that that's where we're going to bless that person in the waters of baptism. And we can stand on that for the end of time. That invitation is open this morning. If you have somebody, and I just want to finish with this, if you have someone, Someone in your life, a person that you know. You're ministering right now. Many of you are teaching Bible studies. You're, you're ministering to people and co-workers. You're talking to other folks that you know. I just want you to know, give me a call. Give me a ring. Put the invitation out. Don't be f- afraid to say it. I'll get here. I'll come day or night, morning, afternoon, evening, whatever the case is. If it's private, if it's here, I don't care what the situation is. If they understand the concept, you've ministered to them the concept, and they can tell me, yes, baptism is for the remission of sins, I'll open that tank up, and we'll get them into the waters. All right? In Jesus' name. Let's pray together this morning. Lord God, we thank you so much again for your word, Jesus. We thank you for your blessings, Lord, and for your power and for your word. It's so clear to us, Lord, from the beginning of time, through all the way through the tabernacle and on into the, to your message of grace. 
God, that you expected of us, that repentance power. You've expected of us, God. Thank you for listening to this Abundant Life Church podcast. We pray it has strengthened your relationship with God and will continue to be a light unto your pathway to heaven. If you have any questions or comments regarding this podcast, please telephone our ministerial team at 262-965-5177 or email us at info at abundantlifechurch.org.